Coaches to episode 14 of the Coaches Collective podcast. I'm Dan Casey. I'm here with Chris Maleo, and we are so fortunate to welcome on a guest, the head coach of the University of South Carolina, Shane Beamer. Coach, welcome. Thanks so much for your time. No, thanks so much for uh, having me on. Really appreciate you reaching out. Uh, you're a great follow on Twitter and I've gotten some great offensive coaching ideas following you over the years. So appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. And, and you know, obviously we've been we've been following you closely for a while. You've had a, a really cool journey through coaching, but I kind of wanted to, you know, take you all the way back to, to your college days, playing, playing for your dad um, at Virginia Tech. Can you can you walk us through a little bit of what that was like? Um, playing for such an iconic coach um, at such an amazing place and all the success you had. What was it like being an athlete uh, at Virginia Tech, like entering onto the field with Enter Sandman, like the the place is shaking. What was that like? Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. You know, in high school, I was a decent player. I wasn't highly recruited. Um, had some FCS schools and some Division three schools and some walk-on opportunities at the at the highest level. But um, I remember my high school coach, Dave Chris at Blacksburg High School in Blacksburg, Virginia. His son told me, you know, pick a school that if you weren't playing football, you'd be happy going to school there. And uh, I was like, well, shoot, if that were the case, I'd probably go to Virginia Tech anyway. So I ended up walking on and was uncertain, you know, do I really want to walk on and play for my dad and be the coach's son and all that. But I'm so thankful that I did. From a father-son standpoint, it was awesome just being able to spend uh, four and a half years with him being able to be with him on the practice field and at games and in meetings. That was just fun to spend a lot of extra time with him that I didn't uh, always get in high school, but fantastic experience, made so many great friends and and had a great run. We were in the old big East conference back then. So, you know, 95 season was my true freshman season. I red shirted, but beat Texas in the sugar bowl that year. Uh, won the Big East, 96, played uh, Nebraska in the Orange Bowl. And then my last year was 1999 and played Florida State in the National Championship. And Michael Vick was our quarterback. And and uh, just so many great players, so many great games, so many great uh, memories. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech's a uh, uh, special place to our entire family and, and to be there playing, but then also to, you know, be with my dad and, and – to be a part of my my last season being the year that we went undefeated up until the national championship was a storybook way to going out to go out other than the last game, but the whole season was awesome. Man, that that is that is incredible. I mean, I think you know it's such a unique experience to you know you not only get the the experience of being an athlete on the field, but also I'm sure you got all that behind the scenes look at you know all the work and preparation that that your dad and the staff was putting in. Um, how how do you feel like that? prepared you um, to get on to kind of the next season of your life, getting into the coaching profession? Was it something where you had apprehension and maybe wanted to do something else or you knew hundred percent for sure you were going to be a football coach? I would say I was about 88% sure I wanted <laughs> to be a football coach. So I, um, you know, I've been around it and people think, oh man, Virginia Tech was winning a bunch of games. It was, you know, an easy decision, but you know, people forget my sophomore year in high school, Virginia Tech won two games Right. Uh, my freshman year in high school, Virginia Tech won five games. Um, so I saw some lean years as well, but I saw the impact that you can have as a coach on young men and and uh, the opportunities that afforded, you know, my family and as a competitor and a guy that just loves sports in general. It was something that I always kind of knew I was going to try and thought that I wanted to do. 
Um, also saw the sacrifices that you have to make and the time constraints and, 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 uh, uh the job security is not great, you know, right. at this level and certainly is even more or less great than it was then. Uh, but, but not coming out, I, um, I knew I wanted to be involved with sports somehow. So I actually got offered a job as the, uh, weekend, uh, number three sports reporter anchor at the local NBC <laughs> station in Roanoke, Virginia. There it is. And, and I'm like, man, that'd be pretty cool. You know, stay around here, cover sports, be on TV. Who knows? Maybe I'll be the next guy on ESPN or whatever. And and uh, I went back and forth and I was like, you know what? If you don't do coaching right now, it's going to be hard to get into coaching five years down the road. If you don't like this TV thing, let's, you know, let's do coaching. I was fortunate enough to get on as a graduate assistant at Georgia Tech back in 2000. I had that opportunity that came about and. And uh, that was really the only one that and Duke were the only two opportunities that I had to go be a GA somewhere. Um, and I just, I took that and, and never looked back, you know, from the first day I was a graduate assistant at Georgia tech, I walked into an office with uh, there were two other graduate assistants. One was John Donovan. He's the offensive coordinator at university of Washington right yeah. now. And the other one's Jeff is uh, Jeff Collins. the head coach at Georgia tech, three of us were the GAs. And, <laughs> and uh, from the day I walked in that office, I'm, you know, have loved every second of coaching and have never looked back. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. Coach, you, you know, we Dan talked about this a little bit. You come from, you know, in, in essence, coaching royalty with your dad, you know, I mean, the, the legacy that he has, I think on Virginia tech on college football, the longevity that he's had as a football coach, you know, it's, it's not common. That's certain. Um, what, what are, what types of things did you learn from him from a, like a, as a father and coach trying to balance that? Cause now you're in that role, right? You're, you're sitting in that, you know, that HBC role, and, you know, you've got a family, you've got, you know, children and all those things. And I know that's important to you, you know, from the things I've read, how are, what did you learn from your dad to create that balance? And then what are some things that you're trying to implement to create balance for yourself and your staff now? Yeah, no, great question. Um, probably with my dad was just the, and I think this is great as a husband, father, coach, everything was just his consistency day in, day out. Like mm. he never got too high, never got too low, no matter what was going on around him, you know, 19 19, I say this all the time, 1987, uh, Virginia Tech won two games. That was his first season. 1999, they go undefeated and play for the national championship. But he was the same person then that he was back in 87 when they won two games. And success never changed him. The way he treated people, his just day-to-day consistency of staying level-headed and not getting too high, too low. Uh, that's probably the big, the one quality that I hope I've taken from him more than anything. As a coach, as a a uh, husband, as a father, just that mentality for sure. Um, and then just trying to, this job's, you know, this job's very uh, time consuming, as, as you guys know. It's just one, when I'm at home and I'm not in the office, just being present, you know, and certainly with cell phones and recruiting nowadays, you can't really just uh, shut everything down uh, 100%. But certainly when I'm at home, I want to be a, being a dad and husband is my priority. And then also just being able to make families feel welcome around our football program. And, and Lincoln Riley was great with this at Oklahoma. He saw it from Bob Stoops. Coach Stoops was great with it, but you know, families are welcome. And if you came to our football facility, you'd see wives and kids and dogs running up and down the hallway. You know, if you came to practice, you'd see our kids at practice. And I think that's important. I want it one, to be able to, to include my kids and my wife in, in this because they're part of this journey as well, just like I am. Uh, but then also for our players to see us as husbands, see us as as, uh, as fathers and 
Um, you know, my kids, my oldest is uh, about to be 13 and uh, my middle child is uh, is 11 and my youngest is about to be eight here in about a week. And, you know, they're to the age now where they know the players and they know what's going on in recruiting. And, you know, right before we started talking or taping this, my son's going through the schedule upcoming season. He's trying to pick which games we're going to win and we're going to lose. So I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're in, they're in. Hopefully he's it. giving you a lot of wins, right? Yeah. I, I think he's got us like 10 and two right now. So, <laughs> As he should. Yeah. I like it. Uh, no, but just keeping them involved. And, and my dad did a good job with that also. And, and uh, you know, certainly there's sacrifices you have to make both, in both uh, both uh, uh, ends of the spectrum, but uh, being present and keeping our guys involved as much as we can. No doubt. Definitely. Yeah. One of the things that we've, you know, as we've looked into things, you know, one of the things obviously that we're passionate about is, you know, efficiency and, and you know, making the most of our time so that we can be um, as, as good in other areas of our lives as we are on the field. Um, that's, you know, something that's very important to us um, as the Coaches Collective podcast and, and beyond. But, um, you know, one of the unique experiences you had is obviously have that you have that connection with your dad at, at Virginia Tech, but then you also get to work for a guy like Steve Spurrier um, at South Carolina. I mean, diff, like very different personalities, but it seems like maybe some similar values. Can you speak to that a little bit? Um, what it was like for for working with Coach Spurrier? Yeah, it was awesome. And, and you nailed it, too. Like I mentioned Lincoln. I mentioned Coach Stoops where, well, the guy that all that came from was coach Spurrier because yeah. coach Stoops learned it from coach Spurrier at Florida. And, and it was, uh, he was fantastic. I mean, we had a great experience in Columbia professionally. We won a lot of football games when I was there before, but we had an awesome experience as a family. My, you know, my wife and I were in our had we had been married seven months, I think when we moved to, uh, to Columbia, um, two of our children were born while we were in Columbia, but coach Spurrier and his wife, Jerry are, awesome people and they're just so big on family and the families being around and and doing you know easter egg hunts on the football field around easter which we we're doing at south carolina right now because i learned that from coach spurrier and you know family outings and the wives getting together and things like that so i learned so much from him from that standpoint off the field but so much on the field as well i mean obviously by the biggest there's a lot of similarities between him and my dad they're both fiercely competitive uh they're both family is very important to to both of them uh they both have strong belief in their values and the things that are important to them and don't deviate you know from them and then probably the biggest thing coach spurrier is just uh um it was evident as you guys know he has a swag and a confidence unlike any other and there's no question that our players fit off that because when he went to Carolina, went to South Carolina, they had had a couple of great seasons with uh, coach Holtz, but you know, there was a little bit of a, I wasn't there when he first got there, but I believe there was a little bit of a, you know, we're maybe not supposed to be at that level that some of these other programs in this league are. And coach Spurrier just kicked that door down and gave that belief to the players that we're as good as anybody in this league. And, and they believe that, and, you know, you get around some coaches, on game days and they're like so nervous and they're so uptight and not him, man. I mean, he was loose and relaxed and smiling and confidence. And he may have inwardly, I doubt it, but he may have inside thought they were, we were about to get crushed, but he never showed that. I mean, he just always walked around with a aura about himself that we were about to smoke the other team we were going to play. And, and uh, I have no doubt that our players uh, fed off that and, and believe that also because of him. 
No doubt. Well, I have kind of a, a unique perspective on this because I'm a I'm a high school kid at the time in Rock Hill, South Carolina. You know, I was nowhere near good enough to be anywhere sniffing close to USC or Clemson. But, you know, being around guys like Jadavian Clowney and seeing Stefan Gilmore and seeing all these guys and guys that normally maybe not normally, but would often escape the state. They're staying home. They're going to Columbia. And, and they really built like like you said, kind of that aura. Um, and, I, and I think that was a big, a big part of it. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what it was like to, obviously you had a, quite a, a heavy hand in recruiting um, and really trying to own the state of South Carolina and, and, and keep kids home. Um, what, what, what did it look like to kind of build to that crescendo in, in recruiting and, and getting kids excited about the program to the point yeah. where the best players in the nation are coming to South Carolina? Yeah, no, it was a, it was a, huge point of emphasis when I was there before because I mean the, the level of talent that in the in the years that I spent in Columbia South Carolina including you the level of talent in South Carolina was <laughs> unreal you know really during those it really was during that era I mean not just everybody talks about the ones that went to South Carolina, you know, Alshon, Stephon Gilmore, Devin Taylor, DJ Swearinger. I mean, you can go on and on and on. AJ Can, guys that are still playing in the NFL. But then you got the guys that went to, you know, Clemson, a guy like a uh, Daquan Bowers that was could have gone anywhere in the country. Then you got AJ Green came out of Somerville, South Carolina, and went to Georgia during that time. Robert Quinn came out of uh, Fort Dorchester High School, went to North Carolina. Carlos Dunlap went to Florida. I mean, there's so many great players. Uh, so you're sitting there looking at it and you're like all right i mean we, if we can get the bulk of these guys to just stay at south carolina there's no reason why we can't be successful and win a whole lot of games and i remember there being a study at the time so this would have been like 2008 9 and it was like the most nfl players per capita of all the states and south carolina even though it was a small population percentage wise was up there with oh, with anybody in the country and i just remember you know i was the recruiting coordinator and i just remember telling those guys that there's no reason like you can accomplish everything you want to accomplish right here. You can play in the SEC, you can win championships, you can get a great degree. And then by staying home and doing something that's never been done before and representing your home state, and you'll be a legend here. And you see that already, like Alshon Jeffrey and those guys, I mean, they're legends in South Carolina right now. Um, And, and that's what we need to do again now for sure, because you can, there's, it's a small population in South Carolina, but if you're able to keep the best players at home and then go out in surrounding areas, you got a chance to, to beat anybody. And it was, don't get me wrong. I mean, it was a challenge and, and, and whatnot, but we got a great product to sell, but all it took was one, one class. And I'm, I think that first class was like De- Devontae Holloman, yep. Alshon Jeffrey, DJ Swearinger was that first class, if I'm not mistaken. And, yeah. and Alshon and Stefan, like Alshon made his decision. There was only one signing day back then. So right. Alshon announced on signing day. And Stefan had Alabama, LSU, Clemson, everybody after him. So both, both those guys were kind of like the headliners. And then the next year is when Marcus Lattimore came out. And I think it was easier for Marcus to stay at home and go to South Carolina because Alshon and Stefan had, had done it the year before. Totally. Yeah. And then the year after that, Jadavion Clowney is like, well, shoot. I mean, the last two years, they those other guys stayed and look what South Carolina's doing. But it took that initial group to take – I don't want to call it a leap of faith, faith but to take that initial yeah. step. Because I can remember 
if with you being in Rock Hill, you probably remember this. I mean, the year that Alshon was a senior year in high, a senior in high school, pretty sure that was the year we were in the Outback Bowl and Iowa would just beat the heck out of us down in the Outback Bowl. And I can remember sitting in the press box that day thinking, oh my gosh, like there's no way we're going to get Alshon and Stefan and those guys now if they're basing it off of this game and the way that we just played. But those guys believed it, stayed home and made it easy for the rest of those guys to do it following suit for sure. That's awesome. Fantastic. Coach, well, I want to get back to your coaching journey a little bit because one of the things that I think is really unique about it is you've been on both sides of the ball. You've, you've kind of been a jack of all trades as far as coaching goes. And I think a lot of times guys are like, they get so myopic and they pick a lane and they're like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a quarterback's guy. I want to be a running back's guy. Like what kind of advice would you give these young coaches that are out there that are starting out? And like, you know, here you are, you know, as a head coach, but you could have got to coach special teams, quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends. I mean, talk about that a little bit and what that experience was like. Yeah, no, great point. Glad you brought that up. It's, it's, um, I was telling somebody, uh, when I was at SEC Media Days or Media Day, if somebody had said, "Okay, Shane, in your twenty, what is this going to be? My twenty-second year in coaching. Your twenty-second year in coaching. You're going to be a head football coach in the SEC. And here's the two career paths you can choose. You could have been some offensive coach, hotshot coordinator for the last fifteen, twenty years." Or you could have gone the path that I did, recruiting coordinator, special teams coordinator, associate head coach, coaching offense, coaching defense, coaching special teams. And I mean, it, I would cho- have chosen the path that I went on um, because I feel like it prepared me so much more, not only to be a head coach because of the roles that I've had, but just to be a, a good coach in general. Uh, hopefully. Now, I know that doesn't work for everybody, but it was something that I spent a lot of time on. And I really felt like, you know, before I got this opportunity at South Carolina, I mean, there were times where I was like, man, maybe this has hurt me because I, I'm not some hotshot offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator and whatnot. But um, I remember I started out as a graduate assistant at Georgia Tech coaching offense. And I got an opportunity to go to Tennessee as a graduate assistant with Coach Fulmer. And I remember it was for defense. I vividly remember having the conversation with Coach Fulmer, like, Coach, I want to coach offense. Uh, This is a defensive GA position. I really want to come to Tennessee and be a part of the SEC, work for you. But I'm worried about leaving the offensive side of the ball. And I'll never forget him telling me, he's like, if you want to coach offense, the best thing you can do is go be a defensive GA and learn defense and and learn offense. He said – Back early in my career, he goes, I was the linebackers coach. I knew I was, he goes, I was an offensive line coach, but I went to Wichita State to be the linebackers coach. And he's like, it was the best thing I ever did to then go back and coach offensive line because it helped me understand both sides of the ball. So yeah. it, um, you know, I probably, I don't know if I would recommend bouncing back and forth as your career goes on. I think that gets to be tough. And, you know, with, with me, it was, I was defense at Tennessee as a GA. Then I got hired at Mississippi State uh, to coach defense. And then Coach Spurrier offered me a job. This is my – after three years as a full-time coach at Mississippi State, I get offered a job as, at, uh, at South Carolina as the uh, uh, coach of defense. And I coached my – excuse me, my last year at Mississippi State, I had coached running backs. So first two years in Starkville, I'm coaching defense. Last year, I switched over and I become the running backs coach. We were running – Sylvester Croom was the head coach. He had come from the Packers. We were running the West Coast offense. I thought for my career, I'm 26 years old. It'd be great to get in there. Excuse me, 28, 29 years old, I think. It'd be great to get in here and learn the West Coast offense. Coach Spurrier offers me a job 
coaching defense. And I told him, I'm like, coach, I really think I want to be an offensive coach. And there's no better offensive coach in college football than you. If a position opens up on offense, you know, I'd like to do that. He's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Next time a job comes open on offense, we'll move you to offense. I'm like, All right, cool. So one year goes by at South Carolina. Uh uh, there were some changes on the offensive staff after my first season at Carolina. I go to coach and reminding him of that conversation that about me moving to offense. And Coach Perry was like, "Yeah, I think you're, you're doing all right on defense. Just stay over there for now." <laughs> and um, so then I stayed there on defense. And then when I went to Virginia Tech a couple years later, it was coaching offense. And then I've been on offense ever since. So it definitely has helped me as a coach learning all three all three phases. Uh, and and it's easy to say now that I'm in this chair, but it definitely helped me uh, prepare for being in this chair as a head football coach in the SEC, just because it has exposed me to, you know, lots of different roles. I'm, I'm able to walk into the defensive staff room. I don't know as much defense as Clayton White, our defensive coordinator, but I'm able to walk in there and at least have a general idea of what's going on. Sure. Same thing with the offense and special teams. I spent more time on special teams than anything. So definitely more there. I believe in hiring good coaches and letting them coach, but uh, I didn't didn't want to be a guy that just knew one side of the ball and nothing else. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, no, that's that, that's got to be so interesting coaching on the defensive side of things with Coach Spurrier and kind of getting kind of the back end view of his offense and seeing seeing the way he operates. And then obviously, you know, prior to your time at South Carolina, spent some time on the offensive side of the ball with Coach Riley at o- OU. What do you feel like? You know, obviously, both of those guys, like for the high school coaches that are listening to this, these are legendary coaches like scheme innovators, like, like kind of cutting edge offensive minds. What do you feel like is, is kind of the, uh, the, what, what do you think like made coach Spurrier's offenses great? And what do you feel like made those offenses that you guys put together at OU great? Like what made those offenses so dynamic? Was yeah. it, uh, was it just the scheme or like how, how did, how, like, I, I yeah, I'm going to let you go on this. Cause I, I think it's really interesting, maybe different, slightly different styles, but those, those guys are thought of as offensive gurus for sure. No, awesome question. Um, with Coach Spurrier, I think I think he just had such a great, you know, and I wasn't coaching an offense for him, but just being with him on the sidelines and being at practice, I think he just had a great uh, feel for what defenses were doing yeah. and what to call. And, okay, he doesn't have a whole lot of plays. He's got these concepts he's going to run. All right, he knows you're in this coverage. Bang, he's calling this, and um, and really just that. I think just a great feel on game day for uh, what was going on and how to attack what defenses were doing. I think he had just a gift for that, in my opinion. And and, and then also not being afraid to think outside the box. I mean, yeah. it's the only place I've ever been where in practice. He may call a, we may be doing seven on seven in practice and he may call a double pass, you know, in, in, in practice or, uh, and, and stuff like that. Or he may hand the ball off and pass skill and seven on seven, just to keep the defenses honest. I mean, just thinking outside the box from that standpoint. And I think Lincoln was great with that. Also being able to coach offense, uh, for coach Riley for three years was a fantastic opportunity for me. And, and really the whole reason I left Georgia to go to Oklahoma was just to get the chance to work for Coach Riley. Yeah. Um, and it was awesome just being able to – a lot of things with him. One, not being afraid to think outside the box. You know, I, I used to love um, Monday mornings at, or late Monday mornings at Oklahoma. We would get together as an offensive staff to kind of talk about the preliminary game plan. And you'd walk in that room and it would be like – 
uh, uh, mad scientist with all the drawings <laughs> and, and plays that he would already have like driven, dri- uh, drawn up on the board. And usually when he'd be like, all right, hear me out on this. Y'all are going to think I'm really screwed up, but just listen to me what I'm thinking. And usually those are like, Oh my God, these are the most amazing ideas <laughs> that he just came up with. But That's he cool. was great because um, a lot of offenses don't deviate from week to week. It's okay. Here's our base offense. and We're going to run the same plays every week and there's never going to be anything new. And, and that's nothing wrong with that. It works. I mean, St. Georgia, 2017, we had Jake Fromm, a true freshman quarterback, Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, and what we were doing offensively really didn't change week to week. We were yeah, on the same sure. place. Well, Oklahoma, we were going to run the same base plays, base concepts each week. But every week, Lincoln was going to have, I don't know, eight to ten plays maybe that yeah. either one completely had never been seen before, something that he had seen on video, or two, something off a play from the week before. Or three, I think he's really good. Okay, he's watching video. And uh, Oklahoma State ran this against Iowa State. Well, Oklahoma State did this. Well, we're going to do that, but then we're also going to put the next level on top of that and do this. I thought he was really good at that, of just the base stuff that we're really good at, but then new things and tweaks each week, more than just one or two things, eight to ten things. But still at the same time, he kept that game plan. It wasn't like we had 150 plays in the game plan each week. You know, it was a lot smaller than that. So, therefore, you were able to practice everything against multiple looks and walk through every play before you go to the stadium on Saturday so the guys had confidence in what we were doing and what they were going to see from the defense. That was really good. And and then I think just being able to, you know, adjust – his system to the personnel that he had at his disposal. You know, I rolled out there in 2018. Kyler is our quarterback. We got CD Lamb. We got Hollywood Brown. We've got uh, Grant Calcaterra. I mean, the whole offensive lines in the NFL right now. When we were lighting people up, and then the next year, we've lost Hollywood Brown. Um, we've lost some of those offensive linemen. Jalen Hurts is our quarterback. All of a sudden, our offense, in a lot of ways, we look like the Florida Gators with Tim Tebow, you know, and and design quarterback runs. Then the next year, uh, we're uh, Spencer's our quarterback, and and we're doing a lot of the things that we did with Kyler, but we're doing it a lot more out of two tight end sets, which we hardly ever did in in 2018. So just adjusting your personnel, and, and he, like Coach Spurrier, to circle back, great on game days as far as just having a feel for what the defense was doing, how to attack it. Um, and, and, you know, what was good, what wasn't good. Yeah. Coach, how much would you take away from those guys? And then like, I think for yourself and then kind of for our listeners, because I, I think a lot of people, a lot of times people fall into this trap of like, you know, like I, I found myself, you know, when I was calling plays, doing some of the same things that Coach Riley's doing. Like I would see things, we'd install like a few new plays because I knew we could attack people this way. But we really stuck to our core stuff. I think there are a lot of coaches out there who really try to get too cute, too creative. Like the simplicity of what you what you, what you do. You talked about it with Coach Spur, you talked about it with Coach Riley. How important is that and how essential is that for the success of an offense to keep things simple and th- keep things consistent? Very much so. And, you know, we knew you, you guys watched Oklahoma football enough. I mean, 
<clears throat> no matter what new tweaks we had each week, we were always going to run our, you know, counter trace scheme, whatever you call it. We were always going to run inside zone. I mean, there were certain things that you knew every single week we were going to run. Mm-hmm. Might be out of a different formation, things like that. But then off of those, we were going to have a great play action game because of how well we were running the football. Mm-hmm. And then we were going to have different tweaks that were new things that he had seen on video. But at the end of the day, the base stuff was never going to change. So that, that that's absolutely key. To me, you better have your like core foundation, core concept where you're walking through that in January and February. That's all that's what you're running in spring practice. In the summertime, your players can do it in your sleep, in their sleep. You in preseason practice, no matter what look you see in, uh, from a defense, you know how to execute it. You got your base concepts, run game and pass game. Um and and, and then things off of that as well but you can always you know resort back like that was a great thing with coach like we'd be we, we'd get in a game and we may not have called this particular concept it may not even be in the game plan all of a sudden we hadn't practiced it all week and all of a sudden on Saturday he'd get out there and call it and you're just a coach you're like oh my god like I hope our players oh my gosh know what to do but <laughs> because we had repped them so much throughout the year it was almost like come on, I mean, we can do that in our sleep. That's not a difficult type thing, but it was our players had a confidence in that, that, you know, here's your base stuff, but they always knew that Coach Riley was going to have um, um, something special off of that each week as well. For sure. Man, we could we could honestly spend all of our time talking the scheme stuff. We obviously love it, um, but I want to be cognizant of your time and make sure we, we respect that. And, and I really did want to transition us to uh, a part of the conversation that I think is is – uh, really important to us. And that's kind of, we would love to hear your perspective as a new head coach um, of coming in and establishing your, the, the culture that you kind of envision at South Carolina would love to hear kind of what that looked like from your end, but also, you know, with the caveat that this is a whole new world with the transfer portal and NIL and how do you make South Carolina an attractive place for kids and the place they want to be like, what, what did that look like coming in um, and starting day one? Yeah, no, um, for sure. Um, you know, it was important to me. Like, I, I love studying coaches, football, basketball, baseball, any level, and and um, have gotten to know a lot of basketball coaches um, over the years. And I remember, you know, I've had conversations with Buzz Williams and have read articles and gotten to know Tony Bennett, Virginia, and Shaka Smart at Marquette. And, those guys, a lot of them, they always talked about, okay, here's the core values of our program. So always, you know, years ago, just kind of started thinking about, all right, if I was ever a head coach, like what are the core values that you want this program to be about? And some people say, uh, well, you can only have two or three. You can't have more than two or three. Maybe that's true. Like I just, as a husband, father, coach, you know, I just always kept coming back to, there were seven of them, love, gratitude, positive energy, toughness, trust, accountability, competition. And to me, that's me as a dad, husband, and coach. So those were important things for me going into South Carolina. Well, I get the job. Um, they're coming off South Carolina. We're coming off two win or two seasons, not the way we want them to be. And, and I got hired and I'm a relationship person. I'm a people person. I love the relationships with the players, like anywhere that I've ever been. Uh, I get extremely close to the guys that I coach. I love that part of coaching. Um, I mean, leaving 
leaving Oklahoma to come to South Carolina. I mean, I'm leaving an assistant job to go be a head coach in the SEC, and I'm not ashamed to admit, I mean, I'm sitting there crying like a baby when I'm telling my tight ends that I'm leaving to go to South Carolina. Like, I feel bad. Like, I don't know if I could leave these guys type thing. And so I get really close with guys. So when I wanted to not change that, becoming a head coach, and I love it now because I'm not just coaching a position. I'm coaching 100-plus guys, and I can have those relationships with all those guys. Uh, but when I got hired, I sat down with, every single player on the team and had individual meetings. I did about 40 of them in December before Christmas. And then I did about 60 of them in January when I got back in January or when they came back. And in those meetings, it was tell me about yourself. Tell me about your family. Where are you from? What are you majoring in? What are your goals? Uh, but then I also always finished every conversation with, you know, what, what are the issues here? Like, why are we a two-win team? Why am I the new head football coach? What needs to change? And and I just sat there with a notebook paper and just kept notes on everything they were saying and just kept – when the same thing kept coming up, I just marked it and, and added up all the numbers. And it was, you know, the same things kept coming up over and over again, which was really cool because they all led back to a lot of the things that I believed in already from a core value standpoint and it was easy to easy to implement that right there you know we wanted guys that were grateful to be at South Carolina and um the love part of it is is you know loving each other loving being an athlete loving uh, uh what it means to be a football player at South Carolina the positive energy I don't think there was a lot of positive energy when I got hired now part of that was a two they were a two win we were a two win team their coach just got fired you had dealt with COVID I mean they had a lot of stuff that went on last season so we needed as much positivity and energy in that building as uh as possible uh, accountability the players were dying for accountability on and off the field uh competition they wanted to get out there and compete uh, and everything that they do, position battles and just in practice in general. So we've just tried to stay true to that and and then just be consistent. You know, people talk about culture and stuff all the time. Um, I read this one time. I don't know who I stole it from, but somebody said, you know, culture is really your environment. And what does that environment feel like day in, day out when you walk into the building? And somebody should be able to walk in to, to your facility and within 10 minutes feel that environment, which becomes your culture. And that to me, that's just the way we treat people and the consistency that we have day in, day out. And, you know, I've worked for head coaches where every single day is different. You walk into the office and you're like, oh my God, what kind of mood is he in today? You know, cause that's going to be how the day goes. And, and I never wanted to be that guy. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we're demanding. Uh, we coach these guys really hard. We work. We really, really uh, demand they work hard. But at the same time, there better be some day-to-day -day consistency and love and appreciation and, and true relationship building for for uh, with what you're doing with each of the guys as well. I love that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I had the, I had the great fortune of playing for Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, who we've had on the show, and it's one thing I always talk about. You know, for uh, from us, at least from a player's perspective, I'd, I'd like to think it wasn't that long ago that I was playing for him. Um, it was just the consistency every day. You knew exactly what you were getting from your coaching staff. And that, that made it a lot easier as a player, right. You know, and not only as a coach, but as a player to know the, the level of expectation and like, Hey, if I do this, then this is going to be the result. And this is what they're going to be, you know, and, and I think, 
you know, that's how you kind of, like you said, establish environment and create culture. But um, coach, I have actually one more question for you. You're going to laugh is I was obsessed with that Virginia tech team that you were on. Okay. Like you had obviously Michael Vick, but like I was a young kid, Ike Charlton was on that team, Andre Davis, uh, Lee Suggs, like, yeah. I mean, um, the, the pew, the, the defensive David, end, I was like, David, David, David Pugh, Chad Beasley and Corey Moore. Yeah, Corey yeah, Moore, yeah, Coach John, John Engelberger. Yeah, Corey Moore, those big old eyes. Uh, <laughs> I was obsessed with that team. I was I was heartbroken when you guys lost that national championship. I hated Peter Work for years. But um, <laughs> it, a quick quick question for you is: you obviously were around a generational talent in Mike Vick. Um, you know, uh, tell us a story about Mike. Like, what? Like, is there a practice story or some kind of cool anecdote you can share with us about him that you thought like made him a special athlete and talent? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many, I mean, for me, I go back to like when he was being recruited and you guys remember like when he was coming out of high school, the big name in Virginia was Ronald Curry. Right. Yeah. And Ronald Curry was like number best, best player in the country, football, basketball, whatever. And he was, he was, it was obvious he was not coming to Virginia tech. He was going to Virginia or North Carolina is probably what it was going to come down to. And I'll never forget when Michael Vick was in high school, because he and Ronald came out the same year. I'll never forget my dad telling me he came back from a recruiting trip and he's like, yeah, I mean, we're not going to get Ronald Curry, but there's another quarterback down there that we actually think is even better than Ronald Curry. I'm like, get out of here, man. <laughs> just saying that because you know you're not getting Ronald Curry. And he's like, no, I'm serious. There's this quarterback by the name of Michael Vick. That he's really special, but he's kind of not – nobody's recruiting both of them because you're either kind of all in on Ronald or you're all in on Michael. And he's like, yeah, we yeah. really got a great chance at Michael Vick. I'm like, all right, well – you know, Mike comes in as a freshman in 98 and people, we were really good in and Virginia tech was in 1998. Um, we lost three games that year. We lost to Donovan McNabb in Syracuse on the very last play of the game. We lost to uh temple upset us in Blacksburg. We were like a four touchdown favorite or something. And then we blew a, uh, uh, we blew a lead against uh, Virginia and lost to them in the last minute. Those were our only three losses. We beat Alabama like 38 to seven in the music city bowl that year. Well, Michael Vick redshirted that season. Uh, my dad had promised his high school coach that he would redshirt him to give him a year to get ready. But we got down to our third team quarterback in 1998. Uh, we took our starting free safety, a guy by the name of Nick Sorensen. He's coaching in the NFL right now. We took Nick. Nick was our starting free safety, but he had been a high school quarterback. He actually played moved from free safety to quarterback when our starter and backup got hurt. Back in 98, we beat Boston College on a Thursday night game up in Boston. Meanwhile, Michael Vick standing on the sideline in a dang hat because uh, he's red shirting the whole time. Uh, we were loaded like. We were loaded on defense that year. I mean, that 99 defense, the whole team, the whole 99 defense came back off the 98 defense. So all those guys you just named were over there. But I remember Michael Vick was the scout team quarterback in 1998. (laughs) And he's just up there. I mean, our defense is loaded and he's over there just shredding the defense in practice, scout team wise. But you guys have been around him enough. You know, like there's a difference between like what a quarterback can do in practice because he's really not getting hit and what happens in games. And I just remember the first game of 1999 when we opened up with Michael Vick at quarterback. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Like you knew this guy was really good from what he'd been doing in practice. But to see it live when other teams are trying to tackle him and things like that was just really, really – really special what a talent um just a, and just a great guy too like you wouldn't 
you wouldn't have known it by the way he carried himself. He just was one of the guys and wanted to be one of the guys and just a great football player that loved the game and talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact, and trying to get him up to Columbia to spend some time around our team and, awesome. and, and be around as well. But super, super person, super player. But yeah, red shirt in 98, but 1999, it was on. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, coach, we, we obviously want to be respectful of your time. We're so grateful. I, I'll close it out. It's kind of a similar question we ask. Um, every, every coach we have on, on the podcast is, you know, again, something we're passionate about is, is being great on the field, but also being great off the field as a coach. And what would your advice be for a young coach um, that wants to be a tremendous coach, but also a great husband, great father? What's, what's one piece of advice that you would offer up to, to that young coach? Yeah, I think just, you know, having your, you know, priorities, uh, having your priorities in place and, and, you know, it's a time consuming job. There's no question about it, but, you know, you only get one chance to be a husband and you only get one chance to, to be a dad. Um, and I never wanted to look back and accomplish goals on the field, but then look back and miss things that, you know, my kids did growing up and not be around for that. So I've tried to just always have a great balance from that standpoint. And, and there's enough hours in a day, you know, just I've, I've always tried to be a guy that just planned ahead and took care of things on the front end. So I'd be able to have time to do things that were coming and not procrastinate and do a great job of time management because there, there's enough time. I mean, you, you, you're not working 24 hours a day. There's ways to be involved and be a great husband and father and then be a great coach and and being able to, you know, include those guys and in, in as much as much of what you're doing yep. as a as a coach as well uh, is important to me. And um, I've been I'm glad that I've been able to work for a lot of coaches that had that mentality and allowed that to allow that to happen. And it's, um, you know, it's been cool to see my children be able to experience that and wouldn't have traded it for anything. That is awesome. We will certainly be uh, be rooting for you guys this fall, and uh, and we just appreciate you so much. Thanks, Coach. Hope you have a great one. No, nope, absolutely. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate all you do. Best of luck with everything going forward, and hope to do it again soon too. Yes, sir. Nice, Coach.